There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, alongside the wonderful and really increasingly popular Gangster Pete. Oh, that's sweet. It's nice to be here. God, Gangster Pete. Gangster Pete's got no love for the audience and really makes no apologies for it. Let's see who pisses more people off in today's episode. It's brought to you by the HomeLoanExpert.com. And also by James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, in addition to Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies and, of course, Design Air Heating and Cooling. Online at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. I'm a Design Air Heating and Cooling client, and Gangster Pete and I couldn't be more thrilled as we sit in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios to report that Seth Goldcamp's staff came by the podcast studios last week, and they did discover that, indeed, <laughs> there is an issue... Uh, and uh, they will be fixing it in here in Gangster Pete. We will have air conditioning in the podcast studios. Can't what? wait. Can't wait. What? Design Air Heating and Cooling. Let them fix your podcast studios or your home. Designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. Ryan Kelly is the home loan expert. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. I refied with him in April and thrilled that I did. I'd always been a little hesitant to do it, because I was worried it was going to be this whole miserable process, but then wound up doing it, and I e-signed everything, and then when the time came to close, my wife and I were in and out in 12 minutes, and I am making my first uh, payment, uh, I guess, on uh, June 1st, May 31st, whatever, and uh, and I'm saving 20-plus percent by taking about 15 minutes to do that. That's the grand total of time I invested in it. That's how much you can save with Ryan Kelly, plus home buying season is underway. Get yourself ready by getting pre-approved with Ryan Kelly online at thehomeloanexpert.com. He is our studio sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show. Uh, Gangster Pete, we have a potpourri of questions this week. We're getting more and more questions every week, and I'm enjoying that. It allows us to uh, to try to get through as many as possible. I still want more stories and more opinions. I want, I, I really, essentially what I'm asking for is erotica. That's what I've decided I'm asking for. <laughs> I would like that as well. But I'm not getting it. Uh, I guess we've gotten like two in the uh, in the history of the program. So if somebody wants to send them in, please, or just humor me and just send stuff in and, and claim you're a woman writing it in and it'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll do all I really need. It doesn't take much. Uh, all right, let me see what we got here. I'm just going to go from uh, the most recent to the least recent and start in my email inbox. You can always email in for questions from the audience. Anything, questions, opinions, stories, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com, and uh, Gangster Pete and I field the questions, field the opinions, field the stories. We start right here with R in the Midwest. Listening to the most recent Swopes picks has reminded me next year will be 10 years since the 2011 World Series run. Besides Freeze and La Russa, is is there or are there specific players that you'd enjoy BSing with on a podcast about that season? Either key contributors or role players, thanks, are in the Midwest. Gangster Pete, you get the floor first. Insta call Lance Berkman. 
Nice play. I mean, he was on fire that whole series. Yeah. Uh, I always liked him before he joined the Cardinals. He's a great interview as well when he does interviews. Yeah, and he had some key hits in that game six as well. Uh, yeah, the the uh, bottom of the 10th off Scott Feldman to keep things alive. Um, Chris Carpenter is somebody I really want to interview. I say that, but then I'm like, I like I picture myself interviewing him, then I get scared. <laughs> so he would be the most scary interview probably so, ever. So I don't know if that needs to be a phoner, but um, I would love to interview him. I think he, I think he is a little more calm now. And I would love to hear a variety. I mean, there's so many different stories with him. He was almost out of baseball in 2002, 2003, much less what he wound up becoming over the next decade. And if that guy doesn't get hurt, uh, I think he's in the mix for being a Hall of Famer, you know. And, um, and, and you know, what he did in 2006 was kind of a quiet postseason for him, actually. Um, he did win his one World Series start. And it was kind of a, you know, very simple win. But they only needed him one time. Needed him three times in the World Series and needed him to pitch on short rest also for game two against the Phillies in 2011. And he just has, you know, I think I think a lot of Cardinal fans would really enjoy a conversation with him because it would be like Bob Gibson in a time warp. That's what I think. And plus, um, perhaps talking to some of his teammates and getting their reactions and reading those to Carpenter, I think that would be amusing. And I've never heard Carpenter talk in any extended format, so I, I think that would be awesome. He used to stare us down as he would walk to the field <laughs> on spring training. I like he would stare us down. Well, it yeah. goes back to when it was Martin the cat and myself and Doug the cat and myself and when producer Joe would be qu doing question of the day, Carpenter would come walking by and he wouldn't even mess with it. He would just he would just let him pass. Now it's Yadier Molina. Yadier Molina is like, you know, as friendly as it gets in comparison to Chris Carpenter. Chris Carpenter would stare us down to let us know we were not welcome. <laughs> we were absolutely not welcome. So Chris Carpenter would be my answer. Uh, and then maybe just a brief uh, 30 for 30 mini with Corey Patterson and the brush fire that uh, Calvin May referenced to see if he really did indeed stomp it out. Hey, Tim, hope all is well. Not as much of a question, more of a suggestion and thought. Have you listened to Token CEO? It's Erica Nardini's podcast. She did a 25-minute episode on Rogan's move to Spotify. She talks the ins and outs of podcasts and where media is going. She also talks about the differences between Spotify and Apple. Sounds like Spotify is swallowing up the market and looking to move to video while Apple Apple is asleep at the wheel. Thought you and Gangster Pete would enjoy. Good episode on Call Her Daddy as well. Thanks. That comes from the Sultan of Duck Butter. I did listen to the episode I on Call Her Daddy. I have not listened to the interview on Rogan's move to Spotify. I didn't. You have? I have. Okay, what do you think? This is uh, good. Yeah, I thought it was great. I got to uh, download it while we're sitting here. She gives really it. good behind-the-scenes insight, I mean, from someone that's running a company that does that. Of that size, too. Yeah, and then uh, what the guy said is basically what she said, is that Apple is kind of asleep at the wheel. Like, they don't really know what their plan is for podcasts. Uh, Spotify has made a huge investment in podcasts. They're going to make a huge investment into the video aspect. And then uh, she said, like, the customer reps at Spotify, like she knows them. She has a good relationship with them. Like if she wants to talk to someone at Apple, she doesn't know what she's going to get. Oh, yeah. Boy, there's so, truth to that. So I thought it was interesting. I, I mean, I think you'd really like it because I know you're into the inside business part of the. Yeah, I, I, I found the one on Call Her Daddy. I thought Portnoy's was more entertaining because a lot of the stuff that Erica was talking about in her Call Her Daddy one was stuff I was familiar with. But I like that. I really like that both her and Portnoy are explaining how they arrive at the mathematical conclusion. 
Yeah. I like that that they're comfortable making that public. I realize they essentially have the juice to do that, but I just think it's healthy. I mean, and listen, I, I don't know if it's if it's if it's something that everybody would agree with, but I personally think if you're talking about numbers, I don't think they need to be like this secret sauce. I think everybody at a company can be aware of the numbers, and then it helps explain decisions. Now, if you have somebody who's a problem behind the scenes, and that's why you got to whack them, well, that's a different thing. But if it's numbers. Now everybody knows where they are. Here's what you're hitting. Here's what you're hitting with men in scoring position and so on and so forth. And then it explains it. Um, and, I, and I like the fact that Portnoy laid that out there. And I also like the fact that Erica went into intellectual property and the importance of it and why it's not something you just give up. If you're putting your business's money behind building a brand, you don't just let that brand go. That's why something that was probably a a minor thing in 2010 when I did our deal, I guess that was with KFNS, not this ownership group, different ownership group, uh, that Inside STL owns TMA's intellectual property. Um, it wasn't like some shrewd move. I just knew it was important to own your own content. And uh, that mainly came from Howard Stern. I know Colin Coward has made a big deal of that recently. And uh, obviously it's gotten uh, much more attention in the last week or two with the call her daddy thing. So um, I love the fact that they're talking about this stuff. Because for me in the past, it's always been like, oh, I want to talk about it, but now I'm going to be embarrassing people. Now it's like, okay, fuck it. Here's the deal. You know, this person wants to make this public. Fine. We'll talk about it. But here's the real reason. And now it's going to be embarrassing for you because you're saying you're getting run out. But in reality, here is why. Nobody's advertising on your show and here are the numbers. So if you'd like to explain that, feel free. But here are the numbers. Here's the data. Uh, next question. Hey, Tim, I hope you're doing well and staying safe slash healthy, first of all. I enjoyed your latest questions from the audience, episode 349. I don't even track our episodes. Is that bad podcast hosting? Because I noticed our, uh, when I was listening to Erica, she goes, this is episode 36 or something like that. A lot of people do that, but I mean, I couldn't tell you what Well, what apparently we've what. done 349. This is 350, celebration. All right, sweet. Thank you. Uh, Happy anniversary. Thank you. I, I wanted to see if I can guess at least one of the advertisers who didn't meet their commitment was, oh, and now we're <laughs> not going to do that. But I can tell you, Calling people uh, John, your guess is not uh, accurate. Uh, I'm curious who the bar owner was. Few people have asked that. I'm not uh, I'm not sharing that information outside of uh, outside of our little circle here. In terms of a question, over the years, I have watched multiple interviews with Cardinal players who were on the 1996 team that lost to the Braves in the NLCS. Several of them chuckled during the interview when they speak about Donovan Osborne. It seems like there is somewhat of an inside joke or an angle they don't disclose, but they certainly find him or his antics amusing. I'm not sure if there's a backstory behind Osborne's Game 7 blow-up versus the Braves or if there is a story-slash-series of stories that his former teammates find amusing. Seems that Osborne's tenure with the Cardinals may have overlapped your time covering the team. Do you have any details or inside baseball you can share? Thank you. That comes from John. A gangster Pete, uh, before I go into my uh, my answer to this, do you recall Donovan Osborne? I imagine. Yeah, I, I remember Donovan Osborne. Uh, I watched that team, and then uh, I got some baseball cards. I don't know anything about whether or not he's a weirdo. He's a Las Vegas guy, if I'm not mistaken. He had a he, he would sweat a lot, and his start in Game Seven against the Braves didn't go the way he really wanted it to. Because if you're a starting pitcher in Game Seven, you'd like to get out of the first inning. And unfortunately, he didn't He didn't have that happen. And he was uh, knocked out, I think, by a triple by Tom Glavin. Uh, at that point, I think most Cardinal fans kind of had a feeling where that series was going. You're up 3-1 to one and lost in big way in Game 5 at home. Lost a close game, Alan Bennis against Greg Maddox in Game 6 at Fulton County Stadium and then just got blown off the field in Game 7. 
Um, I did a story, and I wonder if John is thinking of this story, because I haven't seen a whole lot of people cover Donovan Osborne. <laughs> and and I just kind of, I would do these long-form spring training interviews when I was doing TV, and I don't know what it was. I think just like I was bullshitting with Matt Morris, who I had a, a bit of a rapport with. I don't want to overstate it, but we were both, I guess we're around the same age. Maybe he's a year or two older than me. But uh, it was like the fifth anniversary of that team. And I said, in the interview, I said, where is, do you know where Donovan Osborne is? And he goes, I don't know, man, like probably Mars or something. And he just started <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, oh, there's got to be something there. So then I would ask everybody. And then I remember asking LaRusa, And then he had an amusing uh, answer about it as well. And I'm like, okay, there's clearly something going on. But I don't know what it is about him that people found amusing. Uh, all I know is he sweated a lot. So perhaps some, some people would have better insight into it other than what I'm telling you is that his teammates thought he was a unique character. That's all I know, but I don't know why. I think he pitched for the Yankees. Going to go baseball referencing here while we're uh, talking about him. He went to uh, UNLV. Yeah, so the Las Vegas thing was right. Cubs He's now 50 Yankees. years old. He did go to UNLV. I mean, he was a D. I mean, you get he started game seven in the NLCS. You can't be a bucket of crap. He was thirteen and nine that year. Three and a half ERA. Yeah, uh, he, he did pitch for the Yankees in two thousand four. Wow, he was on the two thousand four Yankees. What in the world? <laughs> of course, he had a seven point one three ERA. About to say that. So he didn't pitch in two thousand, two thousand one, or two thousand three, but he did pitch for the Yankees in two thousand four, a team that was a win away from the World Series. Can you imagine if there was a reunion of the Cardinals and Donovan Osborne and in the ALCS, he did not pitch for the Yankees in the postseason. I don't know, man. So then, uh, so LaRusa had this joking answer, which wasn't necessarily his style. And this is in a sit-down, one-on-one interview at spring training. And then the next year, or maybe it was 2000, yeah, 2002, he was back with the Cubs. And he actually started a good amount of games for the Cubs, it looks like. Um, and I said, hey, Donovan Osborne's back in the game. And it uh, looks like he's part of the Cubs now. And I know last year we talked about where in the world is Donovan Osborne, and he goes, "No, that's that's good to see." You know, and he's <laughs> like, he was, he was he was like, "I'm done playing with it." Now he's pitching for the Cubs. Stop messing with me. That was his way of basically telling. Well, now me, I'm intrigued. Off. I want to know. I know we got to dig into this. What's this, the deal? This will be our first thirty for thirty on the podcast. We'll figure out what the hell's going on with Donovan Osborne. Fifty years old, so that means he was what twenty six in that game seven. I guess my math is correct off the fly. Um, I hope that answers your question in some capacity, uh, John. Uh, let's see what we've got here. Okay, we're going down politics road. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, hey, Tim, call me a lemming or naive like you. Okay. Well, <laughs> is that a compliment or a shot? I don't know what the hell this happened. Call me, this is what happens when I don't read these in advance. Call me a lemming or naive like you, but I tend to agree with you regarding people who dislike Trump and want this COVID situation to be an absolute disaster to be flat out untrue. Okay, so what he's making reference to is last week's episode, episode 349, and my premise that there are people who are fans of President Trump who believe that those who are fearful of COVID are not really fearful of COVID but want to see his presidency end after one term. That was what we discussed and how I said, I'm sure that exists, but I just don't believe it exists in a large number. I just don't. I, and, I, and I don't. I just don't. Um, 
The gentleman goes on to write, I am a liberal and I'm not shy to speak out, especially being a person who lives in Jefferson County and has multiple neighbors that are huge Trump fans. The insinuation that Democrats are happy with this pandemic is happening on Trump's watch makes my blood boil. When it comes down to it, I think everyone wants people to be safe and not get sick. However, I do think there is a gap between how we as a society get through this. For me and my thoughts on government as a Democrat, it's way different than those who are Republicans. Neither are bad people, but each have their own views, which I don't see being communicated. I have several Republican friends that are completely baffled by my stance on the economy. I, for one, think everything regarding sports, restaurants, recreational places, etc. should remain closed down. Once I provide that stance, my friends come back and tell me it's only because Trump is in office and I want the economy to fail. I tell them, and I can promise you as a husband and father of four, that the economy failing is the last thing I want. But for me, I think the government should keep the non-essential places closed until we have a complete understanding of this virus. And they should be providing money to every American over 18 to help with costs for food, rent, and other bills. It's a key principle of being a Democrat that we want our government to help us in a time of need. Republicans have a completely separate view, which is fine. It's their principles. Republicans are for less government and don't think socialist ideas like food stamps, unemployment should be given for extended periods of time. It doesn't make any of us bad people, but it's one of the biggest problems in our country today. The fact that we cannot debate on those principles instead start claiming that Democrats want this pandemic to continue to politically hurt Trump is flat out disgusting. Anyway, I love the podcast and have thoroughly enjoyed Pete's comments since he has spoken out more over the last several months. Thanks. That comes from Dan. Gangster Pete, another fan. And the, and the thing about you is you don't want fans, which then brings them to you more. Listen, the fans are very nice. I just know how this can turn on a dime. <laughs> so you have been around long enough to recognize the way that it works. Um, well, we talked about the Lake of the Ozarks. I'm going to tie it into a, uh, to a headline uh, from this weekend with the Lake of the Ozarks thing. And I was watching news coverage of, um, of a reporter going around in Gulf Shores where it was packed as well. So you're talking about Pensacola, Mobile, and in between in there, uh, the Gulf Shores area of uh, the Panhandle in, in Alabama and, uh, and the people who are patronizing that area. And the thing that stood out to me in those interviews, and again, they're man-on-the-street interviews, and so you can frame a man on the street to be any, because you get one guy to say something batshit and you can then say, and then liberals are saying, or conservatives are saying, but this, a number of people were interviewed and the common theme was they just didn't really think it was as big of a deal as people had thought it was a couple of months ago. And so, so therefore I think, whereas people potentially on the coasts or, you know, people who are on the left in the Midwest or South are viewing, say, Gulf Shores or Ocean City, Maryland, or the Lake of the Ozarks, and they're viewing it through their prism. They're going, look how selfish these people are. I think that's wrong. I personally think that's wrong. I think it is more a case of, we just don't really think it's a, a big deal, and we, we did quarantine for a couple of months, and now we're done. Um, and I think that, I think if you view it through that prism, I don't think you necessarily view it as selfish. Um, on the other side of it, while it's not, it's, it's certainly not apples to apples. There are some who I think would consider themselves to be conservatives who are just outright against wearing masks. Um, and there are many liberals who take offense to that. I hate using the term take offense because it automatically like discredits the conversation because now we're talking about taking offense. 
but who who go, why not just wear a mask? Like, how does that harm you when wearing a mask? Because it's not about protecting yourself. It's about protecting other people. So therefore, that is selfish. Um, and I, and I, I get that one more than I get that these people in the Lake of the Ozarks or Ocean City or Gulf Shores are just being selfish. Because I really do believe it wasn't a case of we don't care. It's a case of Look, look, it's been a couple of months and, you know, I think this thing has been overblown and enough. Um, now, I personally, how would I handle it? I personally wouldn't do that. But the Lake of the Ozarks isn't my thing. So let's 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 say there's an orgy because that's more of my thing. <laughs> I wouldn't go to the orgy either. Um, and and so, you know, again, to each their own. But that's where I am personally. And a lot of it is cause like a lot of times over the last month or so. I'd be like, man, I'm going to, I got, I, I'm going to play golf. I want to see if my dad wants to play. And I know he's not, he's not going to do it. Him and my mom truly are in some semblance of a lockdown. They haven't left the house much since, uh, I think it was March 17th. Um, and so that's where they are. And so my view on it would be not necessarily my fear of harming myself so much as me potentially contracting it and then giving it to somebody else and being asymptomatic. That is where I am coming from. But I don't look at videos of people at the Lake of the Ozarks and go, God, you're so selfish. And I, th- and I think the broader point is, and it speaks to the email that Dan sent in, the broader point is, is that I think oftentimes in 2020 and perhaps 2016 and perhaps 2012 and perhaps 2008, and I think it really started around 2000 uh, and, and intensified with the Iraqi war in 2003, is that if you are on the other side, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. And it's just, oh, you're acting with nefarious or malicious intent. And I don't think that's what's going on. Um, I'm sure in some cases you have that. And so when you see a video on social media of somebody refusing to put a mask on, you go, see, look, all conservatives. But in reality, it's like a sliver. Um, Or you see the Lake of the Ozarks and go, oh, see, it's a bunch of, you know, conservatives who just don't give a shit, you know. Um, and I just, I just, I personally, that's not where I am because I'm trying to understand the mindset. And then when I see these interviews, it's not like, screw this. We support president Trump. And he says, it's not a big deal. And it's, <laughs> it's not it. They're just like, yeah, I just don't, I just, I'm just, it's just not really concerned about it. And that is their personal life experience. Now you might not like my answer to it, but that is, that's my understanding of it. Again, what would I do? I wouldn't do it, but it could be. 75 degrees and I could have a home for a week for free at the Lake of the Ozarks and I probably wouldn't go. So it's not a Lake of the Ozarks commentary. It's, it's just observing the, the general, the general state of mind of the people who did go out and didn't necessarily participate in social distancing this weekend. Gangster Pete, your thoughts. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that this is, less dangerous for healthy people than I originally thought when it started. But as far as like going to backwater jacks at the lake, I wouldn't be doing that. And then also I think that it's important to point out that that's a very small percentage of the people that were actually at the lake this last weekend. Like I had friends that were there, they stayed at their dock and on their boat. They weren't going to the bars like that. So I'm not going, I'm not, I don't like to push my political beliefs on anyone really. So that's not going to change for this either. 
Um, yeah, and I, 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 it was, it was, I mean, it's a, it's a hot button topic as of now, I think, uh, County Executive Sam Page's, uh, request for quarantine for anybody who was at those places, not the lake as a whole, but those particular. I mean, that kind of feels like just a show, right? They don't really think that people are going to do that. I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. I actually think, I have to tell you something, observing that race, um, I, and, and I, and I don't know him. I know we've asked to have him on the show, um, I've made no secret of being a, a fan of Mark Monavani's. So I, I, for the purpose of the discussion, I certainly want to be transparent with that. Um, but listen, I, I will give you my honest opinion one way or the other, although I wouldn't blame people for thinking it might be, you know, some kind of meta play here. It's just not. But I'm observing he's really getting a lot of hell for his policies throughout this. And... Um, and I wonder how that's going to impact the race. I mean, since it's not a presidential race or not a U.S. Senate race, it's not like you have up-to-the-minute polling data. I mean, I could I looked for some, actually, and I couldn't find any. Um, you know, and the, and the primary is still a couple of months away. But I do wonder, whereas some candidates um, potentially, for example, take it to the White House level, with Joe Biden making his first public appearance yesterday in two months, um, maybe hurt by the situation, uh, I wonder if Page's policies are not being well received in the county, and that might actually help Monavani um, or another candidate for that matter, whether it be Zimmerman or someone else. So, um, but I don't know, man. It's a it's a tough spot. Lida Cruzan also said the same thing. It's just she's not in St. Louis County; she's in St. Louis City, and it's a different constituency. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, let's see what we've got here. Uh, this is from, uh, from, uh, my caddy in the fan page club championship. And I'd like to spend about three hours on the fan page. Club championship, if at all possible, Tim, I genuinely want to hear your unfiltered opinion on this. I know on the show, you guys discussed the 67 page proposed rules, uh, for major league baseball's return to me, the proposed rules along with John Mazalak's comments confirmed to me what I fear with the whole pandemic response precautions becoming permanent. I thought the purpose of what we are doing right now is to buy time for potential vaccines, remedies, while not overloading our healthcare system. I feel like the measures we are taking have recently taken on the tone of becoming permanent fixtures, which may lead to some living in a constant state of fear over any sort of exposure to any bacteria or illness long after COVID-19 is hopefully under control. As a coach of a full-time, a full-contact sport, for both high school and youth, I look ahead at the half measures we'll likely be asked to enforce that will, in my opinion, both be ineffective while also completely altering the core aspects of the sports we play. I just don't know how practical it is to enforce any athlete of any age or skill level to completely avoid spitting, touching their face, incidentally making some sort of contact with a teammate, opponent, etc. I also feel like from an instruction standpoint, we will be crippled. We will be spending more time disinfecting equipment on the fly rather than giving instruction. I imagine it will be a hard tightrope to walk while also being observed by the parents, half of whom will think they're wasting time and money, and the other half who will think we are not doing enough to keep their kids safe. I'm perfectly fine if science dictates that it's unsafe to compete, but if that's the case, then let's not resume play at all because some of this stuff is impossible and impractical to enforce or want to enforce. Keep in mind, I do realize with pro sports, the money at stake dictates why the league slash owners will do whatever it is necessary to play from their side. Do you think sports in general should even be played if the extreme measures being proposed are necessary? That comes from my caddy. Uh, you may know him as Carlos Spicy Wiener. A gangster Pete, the floor is yours. I think that was well said. I think he made a lot of really good points. Uh, obviously, 
no one wants it, people to come back if it's not safe. But I, I, I mean, I, I think at some point you have to start living your life again. Like you can't be afraid of everything or otherwise you'd never get in a car. Uh, so I don't want to see all these half measures become what people focus on. I want to play the games and I think it's time to start living our lives again. So that's kind of how I feel about it. I feel like your opinion has shifted here over the last couple of weeks, which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with. I think that's healthy. Well, yeah, the more information the I take like in. Dig in and refuse to, like, you know, alter their opinion based on new information. Yeah, the more information I take in, it seems like if you are a healthy person, you're not part of the at-risk population, you're basically going to be fine. So I think that if you are in that at-risk population, you need to take the proper precautions. You need to stay away from that. But we can't keep the economy closed forever. Uh, that's going to cause even longer lasting damage. So this is, this is, I mean, these pandemics, this probably won't be the last one. You know, this is something we're going to have to get used to, and we can't just shut everything down every time it happens. So as more, I get more information about this particular virus, I feel like if you are a healthy person, you're basically, you, you can beat it. You can be fine. The, 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 the counter to that, I suppose, even though it isn't necessarily my view, because I know you included the, uh, contingency of if you are in the at-risk category. But the, 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 the counter to that is, well, what if you're asymptomatic and then you're contagious and you don't know you have it and, and you expose somebody? And I feel like we can what if this to death. At some point, we, I mean, at some point, we just have to live our lives again. Yeah, and that's the thing. Who is it? I keep messing up his name every, and I feel like we bring him up every Osterholm? week. Thank you. That's, who, that's what I was going to say, too. Yeah. I feel like I've been butchering it every fucking week. Uh, Osterholm. He keeps saying we have to figure out. He goes, this isn't going away. He goes, we just have to figure out how to live with it. And there's no guarantee that there's going to be a vaccine in 2021. So we do have to figure out how to live with it. My reaction in reading those uh, proposed rules for Major League Baseball, I actually kind of thought they were laughable. Um, yeah. And so... It, it, and I actually, you know, I mean, I have a myriad of opinions on it, so it's it's tough to uh, to to simplify it to, to one, and because that's not that wouldn't be where I am. Um, but I, I'm anxious to see if we actually see professional sports played within the next. As we are recording this, it is May 26th. Within the next 60 days, I'm just not sold that we are. I'm just not, and then maybe I'm maybe I'm off on that. You uh, include golf in that? Uh, team sports. Okay. Team sports because golf I'm, I feel like is a, yeah. is a lock. Yeah. Uh, team sports. I'm, I'm I'm really more when I talk about it, I'm more thinking baseball because baseball has the safety element and it also has, still at this moment as we are recording this still hasn't figured out how to handle things between the players and the owners. I and, think that might be the biggest problem. Right. Which is, but, but then you see the safety proposals and you go, how realistic is it for this actually yeah. to take place? And then what's it going to look like? I don't know. I mean, all I know is this, I want it to happen. Um, and I just, you know, the NHL, you know, I don't know how many people are following it super closely, but it doesn't, if they do play, it doesn't sound like they're gonna be playing until late July. Uh, and I think that's catching people off guard. Uh, I, and it also, it, it does seem like where people's perspectives on this topic, it does come from where they get their news. I recall, I think it was on questions from the audience. Maybe it was on TMA uh, and maybe it was just on social media. And I was asked uh, likelihood of pro sports returning by June 1st. And this was like around May 1st. And I said, shit, like 0%, you know, yeah. something along those lines. I'm like, this is just a lock. And the person in person wasn't an asshole about it was just like, 
are you serious? You got to be kidding. And, you know, like you said, it wasn't like being like, fuck you. He was just like, wow, really? And I'm like, yeah, not even like, that's not even a sweat for me. I'm I, and maybe I'm off the mark on it, but that's, um, it struck me as obvious. Uh, not because I wanted it to be that way, but just like, and, and that's where I came from with like the baseball take on TMA. Doug said he was 90. This was probably two weeks ago. I think Pete, yep. Doug said he was 95% sure baseball would be back. The cat, uh, 75% sure. I was 33% sure. And the plowhawk I think was 5%. I think <laughs> I'm giving my problem. So we were, we were very diversified. Um, I don't recall Did you come in and give no, a, I, I stayed out of it. Yeah. You were just sending in strap on links, <laughs> but, uh, I, 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 my reasoning wasn't because of what I want it to be. My reasoning is because of what I thought it would be. And I feel like they have a safety issue and they also have a labor issue. And those are two monsters to navigate. So with regard to what, what Carlos Spicy Wiener specifically asked, yeah, that's a tough spot if you're a youth coach, man. That's a tough spot. You go from trying to coach to now you're essentially in safety mode. That's rough. Um, I don't know. And, th and this is why now, obviously I, I have become a big golf guy since taking up the game again after 12 years away from it in 2016. So about four years now, but what we saw happen with the match part two with, uh, Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning beating Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady golf really is the sport that could benefit substantially from this. It had monster ratings. Everybody was talking about it. People who are not golfers are interested in golf. Um, and now the game will return and it's first few tournaments or tournaments that normally don't have great fields. And I would imagine we'll have monster fields for these events. One in Fort Worth, one in Hilton Head and the next one in uh, New Hampshire, if I'm not mistaken. Can't wait. Yeah. I mean, DraftKings has a millionaire maker for the, Charles Schwab, isn't that what it is? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Fort Worth, and then I, looking at that I, guess, I mean, the RBC Heritage, you usually pick guys who don't necessarily hit it too far. Dustin Johnson plays because he's an RBC guy, but it's, I mean, I've played that course a good amount, and it's a tight course, and those guys won't be hitting driver. I don't even hit driver on a lot of the holes, much less those guys. They'll be hitting irons. Um, and so it's just, you're, but you're going to see Kepka and Johnson's there, like I said, because he's sponsored, but probably Tiger, Rory McElroy, you know, Bombers have to navigate a tight course and a lot of eyes will be on the PGA tour. And that's the one that course I, I feel, feel like is going to, uh, to be able to play. Now, if something happens there, then you go, Oh my God, the NHL, I just, I just get the sense that that is, I don't know, man. And I really hope, I mean, the blues are the first, first place team in the West, you know, you and Stanley cup playoff hockey. I mean, God, can you imagine if we have the masters and the U S open and the PGA championship and college football and major league baseball and the Stanley cup playoffs, and the NBA playoffs, and, you know, I said college football. I mean, it's just going to be absurd. And then on the other side of it, if we don't have any of it, I mean, this is a wide Delta. It's been about a year since I sat in this studio, the morning of game seven of the Stanley cup final and said, we are staring, I am staring into an emotional abyss <laughs> because what happens on a slab of ice in New England is going to dictate my mood for a long time and the mood of our metropolitan area for a long time. It's a wide delta, brother. Well, we've got the exact same thing coming here, except that one had nothing to do with politics. This one will be politicized and there'll be people going, you got to be kidding me. You're not playing. And there'll be people going, you got to be kidding me. You are playing. 
And so it will it will spiral into a different kind of conversation than what takes place between the Blues and Bruins in a Game 7. But I know this. I mean, I hope in a monster way they're playing. It's good in so many different ways. It's good selfishly, certainly, uh, both from an entertainment and a business standpoint. Not going to bullshit people and act like otherwise. Uh, but it also would be a good thing for our country if if these leagues are comfortable doing it. Uh, I guess the thing that people may ask is, are they comfortable? Or are they just doing it to make sure they get as much money as possible? And that is, of course, a rhetorical question. But I think Carlos Spicewiener's question was really damn good. I concur. And, you know, if, like, I had a, uh, you know, son old enough to play youth sports right now, I don't know. I don't know how they're navigating that, you know. Um, it's uh, That'd be tough. And I'd, be, I'd, I'd feel, you know what I'd think more of? I'd think, like, for, for my son right now, if he were 10 or something like that, and he lived for the baseball season like I did, I'd feel terribly for him, you know. Oh, yeah. Parents with multiple kids and having to try to handle that. I have I mean, I remember, I remember when... Like it was supposed to rain on game day, and you just sit there oh and stare God, out the yes. window. Yes. And now it's like, am I ever going to play again? Yes. It's like terrible. I feel just, I feel terribly for the kids, really more so than the parents. Uh, let's see. All right, I've gone through a bunch uh, in the emails, and I know there are some on the TMA fan page. Uh, the answer to your question for those of you on the fan page, Ella Reese. Ella Reese. Mm. Uh, let's see. Um, what are this is this is good. This is kind of the kind of questions I want. Uh, Gangster Pete, uh, you have never been married, correct? That's correct. What are some things you learned from your first marriage that you might use slash wouldn't do this time around? Uh, and I am, I'm really comfortable answering that. I, I, if anything, I feel like I can, in some capacity, be helpful. Now, it's interesting to me as a big Howard Stern fan, I, I listen to his show and I, I, I say I watch, but obviously I'm listening. I'm listening to the way he navigates talking about his first marriage. And there's not a doubt in my mind that there is a written legal document <laughs> <laughs> that has precluded him from, and I understand it, by the way, if I'm his ex-wife in a major way. Yeah. I don't think that, I, I'm sure Howard understands it too. So uh, for the record, uh, I have the same thing. Um, and, and, and also for the record, I think the world of, uh, my ex-wife as a human being, I think she's just a, a great person. Uh, if you want to place blame, um, like if I did blame her, I would just not say anything, but since <laughs> I don't blame her, I will say I blame myself. So I'm comfortable talking about my own shortcomings. I would not say anything about her. First off, just I wouldn't do it in principle, even if there weren't a legal document. And secondly, there is a legal document. But either way, I just, it just, it would be, it would be ethically, morally, whatever word you want to use wrong. I wouldn't do that. Um, I look back on it and I'll say this, because I'm sure a number of people listening to this will be like, fuck, I'm thinking about getting divorced. I kind of want to hear this, you know, or I'm fresh off of a divorce. I kind of want to hear this. I'm 12 years removed from it, I guess. Yeah, 12 years removed from it. Um, and and it's one of those things, I think it's it's like the bad thing that you can talk about, similar to you can't explain to people what it's like to have a child until you have one, or until they have one. You can't truly have that emotion, that experience. And I, and I just, as I, I know I've said a bunch of times on here, I never want to be the guy going, Oh, your life's about to change or, Oh, it goes fast. You know, no, I just never want to say that shit. Cause I didn't like when people said it to me. And so I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say it to them. Um, so, 
if people ask, I will give my opinion, such as the first six months are absolutely awful. And I think it's important to say that. Uh, but, but with regard to divorce, I think we talked about, I, it doesn't matter. I keep saying this every time a topic comes up. I don't remember where I talked about it. I talked about it either on TMA or I, either here. The movie A Marriage Story. Oh, Have you watched that? Yeah, not a feel-good movie. And your, your parents are divorced. Right. My parents are still together, but right. I'm divorced. So what was that like watching as we bring this topic up or this topic's brought up? Um, what was it like for you? But you guys, your parents got divorced when you were older, right? Yeah, they got divorced when I was older, but still there's a lot of similar themes. I mean, any divorce, you're going to go through the whole whole song and dance with attorneys and things, and it's just, it's not easy. You go, you're used, as a child, you're used to your parents being together all the time, and all of a sudden they're like on different yeah, teams. Yeah. So, I mean, it hit home for me in a different way probably than for someone that actually has been divorced, but like it was not a feel-good movie, and it's like, I'll probably never watch this again. I know. I was wondering for some reason. I don't know. I'm fucking masochistic, I guess. And I love ScarJo. I was, uh, I was like, I wonder if I could watch that again and like not have the emotional reaction that I had the first time where I stopped it um, with my wife, who I've been with now for more than a decade. I've uh, been married for, I guess, eight and a half years. Uh, and I said, I can't watch this. I said, I have to stop. I actually, I said, you can keep watching it. And then like after 10 minutes, I went back in and just like <laughs> dug in. Um, but it was, it was just like, if you've been divorced, you recognize like the subtle shit that <laughs> Laura Dern's character specifically, uh, and Ray Liotta's character, uh, but Laura Dern more so, um, were doing as the divorce attorneys. And then you also are cringing with the Alan Alda character and it's just... And I, I was only married for four years with no kids. I can't imagine. I can't. I mean, I can't. I can't. I can't begin to imagine. And I think that's. I think that's why now I was watching that, and there was there was a child, and but yet you're still recognizing the tactics, and you can't help but think about that. And it just. It just like it's. It was. It was a horror movie for me. It was brutal, and so. I like to talk about it just because it's similar to my wife and I and our experience with getting pregnant um, because I think it's helpful because it's a topic that most people don't want to talk about. And so I'm comfortable talking about it again. I'm comfortable talking about all these things, but it, it but I'm only comfortable if I can, if, if all parties are cool with it. And, and, and so I can only speak through my own prism. And again, I ex explain the situation, which I think just is, is right. Even if, if, if it wasn't a legal document or part of the divorce or whatever the hell it is. Um, and it's, and it's these things that, that stand out to me. First off, the divorce lawyer game. Holy shit. Wow. Um, that's, that's man, God, it's, I, I'd, I'd love to like interview a divorce lawyer or two, like away from microphones off the record and, and not even for purpose of putting it on the podcast. And like, it, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's almost like poker. Like they're psychologically manipulating you and it's brutal. And, uh, and I can't go into more because then I kind of be going into my own personal situation. And like if you speak to a lawyer, the other party can't use that lawyer. Well, there's, yeah, there's that. I mean, yeah, well, that was a Tony Soprano games. trick, yeah. right? That was a Tony Soprano trick. Um, and I didn't even think about that, but, uh, but that's, that is accurate. Yes. That's, that's, a, that's certainly part of the game. Um, and again, I, you know, did not have kids, um, and was only married four years. Um, it's, the, the something in, in uh, 
Curb Your Enthusiasm certainly touched on it more satirically when Larry and Cheryl divorced. And it's like, well, we've... We, I that, think was it was, that was tough for me. That was a tough one I like, for you I like, Cheryl. I like them Cheryl together. Lines, well, maybe they'll wind up together, Gangster Pete. I could see that happening. Um, but I think it was Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen, you know, communicating <laughs> with Larry that they've chosen they've chosen to side with, with Cheryl. Mm -hmm. That shit's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Now, not, not as blunt as... <laughs> As, as that. It just happens. But it just happens, absolutely. Like the movie Crazy Stupid Love with uh, Steve Carell. Yep. There's a scene where the, <laughs> the husband says, hey, my wife come, wants me to come and let you know that we've chosen, <laughs> you know, Julianne Moore's character. Uh, that's real. No matter what, your friends will choose a side. They'll also choose a side to believe. Uh, that's, that's part of the deal. You have to accept that. Uh, the divorce process is... Uh, trying to minimize the damage. Nobody is going to win. The lawyers will win. It sounds like a cliche, but it's a real thing. But again, I'm coming at this from, first off, from a time distance and then also without having children. You bring children into the mix and it's like we're playing two different games, you know? So it's it's really not, it's not fair to, uh, to get into it from that standpoint because I didn't have that experience and I cannot imagine that experience that's uh that's 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 a world changer and i just remember you know friends of mine going oh you only married four years and you don't have any kids it won't be and even then even with kind of like you know like playing like the corn fairy tour of divorces uh i still just like holy shit you know it's like like i said the point that i had a tough time watching um marriage story in that marriage story Adam Driver and Scarjo did such a great job of acting, also. Oh, so like it really hit God. me even more. It's like it was it, like you you believed it. You oh, forgot that they were. That, who I think they that are. was the scene where I said, "That's it. I got I got to stop." Yep. You know, it wasn't like we were conversing. We were just watching the movie. I said, "I got to stop." I said, "I can't do it. I can't do it." But it really was more about the kid. Yeah. And then also just recognizing the manipulative <laughs> techniques of the divorce attorneys. Mm -hmm. Oh God. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I did. Uh, Ah, I just, I can't, I can't, I, 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 it's not, it's not, it's, it's all, I mean, it really is a case of, I just, I can't, I mean, um, I don't know, it, that just, that's, so to answer the question, what are some things that I learned, uh, which was really more of the question, um, God, I, I'll tell you what, and this is pathetic, but it's true, um, again, just for the sake of being honest, I, I played so much online poker from 2004 through 2011 that now, again, having some distance between that and it also crossing over relationships because my first wife and now my second wife, um, she got a, she got a couple years of it, uh, before it was, you know, shut down, uh, essentially shut down. I mean, you still can play, but it's not like it was with poker stars and full tilt. Uh, and I was making money on it. I mean, it was real, but it wasn't like more money than I'm make doing this stuff, but it was real money. Uh, but you playing poker, first off, you're just, you're sitting there. If you're going to do it effectively, you, you do have to be locked in. It's an isolationist's game. You, and, and in, inevitably, if you're really committed to it, it's going to impact your mood. And I look back on that and I go, and, 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 I, and let me make this clear. I deserve the blame, period. And so this isn't like, oh, and if it weren't for online poker, I would have been this brilliant husband. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's, 
I just look at that now with some distance and go, God, that's just, that's just fucked up. That's just fucked up. What a terrible way for anybody to live with somebody who is, who is going to first off spend 12 hours playing poker. Not that I did that all the time, but certainly it was a daily thing. And if you run deep in a tournament and that's what I played, I played tournaments. Uh, so that can go on forever. Uh, huge time suck. Yeah. And then also if you get a bad beat and now you're on tilt Mm -hmm. and now your significant other has to navigate that shit. That's rough, man. And I just, I, I really, I loathe the fact because I can remember when I was introduced to the game, I was, I was still in golf mode, pre-golf retirement, 2004. I was playing with a buddy and I think it was like September, October of 04. And he said, uh, you ever play on poker stars? And I, and we were on, I think it was the 18th hole of the East coast at uh, Norwood gangster Pete. This is the batshit memory thing <laughs> coming into play. And I go, now I see it on TV and I don't know what the hell's going on. And I just, so, oh, you should play. It's an easy way to make money. And I'm like, oh, this is like the guy getting me to try yeah. heroin, you know? Yeah, I got and, a stock tip for you. Yeah, exactly. And I remember the first time, I think I created my account in Boston while I had some downtime. And I didn't have much downtime uh, in the World Series when I was up there for the World Series in 2004. And just screwed around with it. And the money I lost, substantial substantial money. I do my Mark Hanna Evergreen uh, Wealth Strategies read. <laughs> One of the reasons why I don't have as much as I should was how much I lost playing poker from 2004 until I got it right in 2009. And I am certain I am a losing player still overall, even though I made, you know, I was, uh, I, I think, and I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but uh, I think I, I think I made like 50 grand playing poker in 2010, if it comes off as a brag, it comes off as a brag. I don't fucking know what to say. I've been trying to give people perspective on Fuck it. Fuck Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just honest. And I was, I was definitely on track for a much bigger year than that in 2011 when it got shut down. And, uh, but I mean, the money I lost, I, if I would go back, I guess I could probably go back and pull it. It, it would be horrifying. <laughs> uh, it really would be. And I'm really like, so, so I think of that and I, I know, I know this is now turning into an online poker thing, which it's not, but I mean, it's, it's a real answer to the question. It's a real answer. And so Anna Marie only got to experience a little bit of that. And she got to experience the winning years too. Now that I think about it, um, not that she really gave a shit. It wasn't a big deal. If anything, it was just like, okay, do you want to go out? I'm like, well, I mean, there's only a hundred <laughs> people left in this tournament and the first place is 30,000. So I kind of got to keep going, <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, it's just, it's just, it was just, I really wish that conversation never took place. Although I do think the, the, the learning of game theory, um, and strategy and understanding, not focusing on the result, focusing on the process has been really healthy to learn, but that's something I probably could have learned in a college course as opposed to eight years of you know, sitting on a couch and being moody based on my aces getting cracked by, you know, some dipshit calling with King Jack, you know, <laughs> I still have bitterness over it, obviously. So uh, that there is that. But again, it's not like, yeah, I had not been on online poker, you know, I would have been, you know, Mr. Brady. Um, what else would I say? I, I, I mean, the main thing is to let people know that the grass is not necessarily greener if you think it's just you, you and it's not it doesn't just impact you and again i'm coming from the kids weren't involved perspective um obviously that that then that's a world changer but also your friends um i would imagine your your money i don't imagine i'm certain your money um and then 
uh, family members. It's just, it really, that's, I'm, I'm more talking about my experience with the divorce because I don't think people know that. Um, and I don't think people, you, you can know it until you go through it. Um, and so if anything, once you are, you're just like, okay, I am never, ever going to allow myself to at least be the one to blame. You can't control everything, but at least be the one. I just won't, I mean, just won't, you know, I mean, just like, you know, without going into more detail, uh, that, that's, that's, and cause I just, man, I'm telling you, cause I know I mean, got people in their twenties listening to this and they might be married like, you know, for a few years and they might be like, God, I could bang her and that would be great. And I'm like, yeah, it, may, it might be a wonderful experience for however long you can go and everything. But now <laughs> we tell you something you will be, you know, that, that is, it's just now, now it's on. I mean, that never goes away. That never goes away. It is always there. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's just, just heads up. <laughs> That's what I'm saying heads up. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, what are your guys thoughts on the match? What do you think they got right? What do you think they got wrong? I thought it was an overwhelming success. The elements were obviously a factor, but the commentators allowed the banter to be the star. The players felt a level of comfort, which allowed them to do some shit talking. Barkley knocked it out of the park and the ending was awesome. If given the option, I'd rather watch events like that than 75% of the games I normally watch. Side note, Phil Mickelson should be in every broadcast booth for every golf event in which he doesn't play. He was able to break down shots and explain them in a Romo-like fashion, but with more charisma. He's an insane talent. That comes from Timmy Recap, star of questions from the audience. Gangster Pete, your thoughts? I agree with just about everything he said. I mean, it was night and day compared to the Rory and Ricky one. And why do you think that was? I agree with it, but I'm trying to, like, delve into the why. Well, it seemed like this is a personal opinion. I think that everybody in that last match was kind of scared of Rory. Like, Rory was trying to talk a little shit, and no one would give it back to him. Yeah. So I think that was a main problem. And then they kept trying to interview people during the match and things, and here they let you, like, hear that what they saying. That was planned, and that was executed. That was well done. I listened I, to an interview with the producer, and he said, we want to let the golfers talk and the, the audience here. And then Phil Mickelson, like, he's born for this shit. Like, he just mm. loves to break down golf. And, it, like, to me, it's fascinating. Like, I love when he was talking about that little chip and how it was going to skid. Oh, the my, yeah. I mean, he's thinking of things. And I was just laughing. And then yeah, he's like, here's where the grain changes. To see a guy and, that's won major championships get, get so excited about hitting a bomb onto the green. Yeah. <laughs> like, just like, all right, that's cool. Yeah. I like to see someone yeah. who loves what they're doing, you know? And then I know that some people complain that Tiger didn't say much, but his game talked for him. Like yeah, his game, on. I mean, it was just steady as all get out. So I loved it. I thought it was fun watching the quarterbacks talk shit. I thought it was fun watching Brady eat shit a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, I fell asleep during that last match. I stayed up, watched every hole. This yeah. It was great. I, uh, I think one thing that you can't produce, but you have to be cognizant of is that all four people legitimately liked each other. Yeah. And we're comfortable with each other, which then allows them to give each other shit and take shit. Right. You know, it's rough if you have a guy who you feel like you can't give shit to, but he's going to be doling it out. You know, you <laughs> need to have, like, that's why Charles Barkley is wonderful, because he's going to give it out. But then, you know, Brady says, suck on that, Charlie, you know, or Chuck or whatever the fuck he says. JT was really good, too. JT was outstanding. 
Uh, that was that was a major positive. So I don't th- I, I get the sense and I might be wrong on this. This is not fair. This is totally unfair, but it's like from a TMZ perspective. I don't know how it's not that Roy's not necessarily well liked. I just don't know if he's part of the, the click, so to speak, the Jupiter click. Right. Even though he lives, you know, they all live like relatively close to each other. I just get that sense. And then I think he was kind of the captain of that thing. Even though Tiger's course is medalist, Rory's course is seminal. Not that's not his course, but I know I I know he plays there. His dad's a member there. Dustin Johnson's personality is not, you know, it's just that's that's what you got there. Uh, so like if it were Fowler and Justin Thomas, I think it would have been better. Oh yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Fowler and Justin Thomas would be must see TV. I and think. then since it was tailor made, then they went the route of Matthew Wolf, who maybe in the next five years will become a bit of a household name. But for the average viewer, they had no idea who he was. Yeah, I was wondering why they didn't have Rom in there, and then they interviewed him during the thing. I guess he couldn't fly. Yeah, he said he didn't want to travel. So. Um, but even then, I'm not sure that that would have necessarily no, resonated with no. a casual fan. You know, we know he is. You know, I mean, you are the top two players in the world right now. He's the number two player in the world, if I'm not mistaken. But it, uh, I, you know, I think Kepka and JT would be good if you do this again. Uh, if Michael Jordan would do it, that would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> awesome with with like a Steph Curry or a Barkley. But I like having Barkley in the booth. I heard someone say they suggested Jordan and Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. So that was on the fan page. Okay. I don't know what kind of player Gretzky is. I think he, he plays quite a bit, I think. Does he? Yeah, they, I mean, he's been and I, and I hear Jordan, driving ranges around You ever hear here. what Jordan's number is? Yeah, I thought I thought it was like a 1-9. It hasn't changed in years. Really? Oh, I heard he was higher than that. I read an article that just listed all the athletes. But I don't know. I, don't, I mean, wow, really? That's interesting. But the article okay, did. Well, it was kind of suspicious. The article said his, his handicap hasn't changed a point in like three years. Wow. That's so, interesting. I don't know if that's still the So case. when I played at uh, Trump National last year, you know, they have all the members just like at any place. I'm at Trump have, International. Ask for me. Thank you very much. Uh, they have all the members' handicaps. So I just listed just like they do at any other club. And and I think the president is listed as a 2-9. And we were playing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, and you know, they you have to have caddies out there. I guess maybe you don't have to have caddies. It depends on when, when you, what time you go out. So I don't feel like I've always had a caddy there. Um, and caddy's like, yeah, he's, you know, he's an eight, nine, you know, but you just kind of know the program and, <laughs> you know, everybody kind of knows it. He has the same caddy every time, no matter where he plays, same deal. We all know. Uh, so that's just the deal. Um, yeah, this says one nine. Jordan one nine. Okay, well then, 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 then he's in a different world. Timberlake's Timberlake. a one. Justin Timberlake. So what, so what do you got here? This is he's got it all. Uh, I'm just going through a Golf Week article. It's got like 24. Do they have anything about uh, Gretzky? Let's see if I can find something. He play. He does play a lot. So I don't. I mean, you, you, I mean, part. I think the other thing that I think really worked is that Brady was shitty. You know, at least for a while. And I think people liked that. I think the fact that the course conditions were tough, I think people liked that. Um, the broadcast was done so well. And seeing courses that, I mean, I would never get to play is awesome, too. I could see medalists happening. Oh, wow. Let's do it. Oh, I'm not saying I'm, not <laughs> saying I'm the one to make that happen. I'm just saying I can see it happening. Um, I have not played medalist for the record. This doesn't, say, this doesn't say his exact hand. It says he's single-digit Gretzky. Gretzky? All right. See, I think that's the key. 
you know, and then guys yeah. who know each other and are comfortable giving each other shit. Yep. So a Thomas Kepka, even though they certainly aren't remotely close to household names like Tiger and Phil, that would be good. I don't, if, if so, yeah, in order to give people shit and to take it, you have to have a certain. Did you mention Steph Curry? I did mention he, Steph Curry. Yeah, he'd be a good one. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think they're both so damn good. Right. You know, I think having the fact that Brady was kind of crappy made it. I mean, what if they were both like, you know, like scratch? I don't know how entertaining it would have been. Like everybody that ever played golf was saying they were better than Brady until he sunk that shot. Yeah, I, I've never, I don't think, I, I had, guess I have a hole in one, but I've never holed out from the fairway from like 100. I had some friends saying that. I'm like, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I mean, I loved it. I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I think just like what we saw with The Last Dance, I think you're going to see spinoffs of The Last Dance. I think you'll see spinoffs of this. Uh, and I think they've learned some things from it, and that is to let the golfers interact. Yep. But Matt Wolf talking to Dustin Johnson is probably not going to be appointment television. <laughs> you know. Well, I don't so, even know if Dustin Johnson got it. <laughs> yeah, Dustin Johnson was, you know, looking out at the ocean and thinking of his boat. Uh, so I loved it. I loved it, and I wasn't. I I figured it'd be one of those things that Twitter turns on and will. And for whatever reason, it resonated with people beyond golf. So the yep. tour really does have an opportunity here if they can capitalize on putting mics on players here over the next few weeks when they will own the sports stage. Um, and if baseball comes back to do things along those lines as well, that is a real opportunity. I think you will see things coming out of this that, uh, like right now, we are on Zoom. We hadn't done this on Zoom before. Might so, as well, the gangster Pete's waving to his fans. Uh that it's just commonplace and you don't even think anything of it. I think that's good. Authentic content. People don't go, Oh, it wasn't, he wasn't in a studio. It wasn't perfectly, you know, people just want to see people and they just kind of accept it for what it is. And okay, there's a glitch here and there, whatever. Fine. At least you get to see the person. So I think you're going to see a lot come from this. That is uh, an understandable and justifiable experimental phase that will become, uh, the mother of great invention necessity. So, um, I loved it as well, and I'm thrilled that people enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if people are killing it, and then it turns out a bunch of people uh, loved it as well. Uh, hey, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies is a wonderful sponsor of this podcast. I am a big fan of his. He is online at evergreenstl.com. If you are looking for a financial advisor, I would like to recommend Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies to you. Uh, evergreenstl.com is where you can find him. I was talking about what I would describe as poor bankroll management in my 20s and 30s, for that matter. And uh, while a good portion of that was because of online poker, another portion of it was because I just didn't have a grasp on it. And having somebody monitoring it for you, but then also putting you on the proper path to get to where you want to go, you really can't put a dollar value on that. And that's what Mark Hanna does. He's online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna with Evergreen wealth strategies and james carlton is my insurance agent and i switched to james carlton because i was so impressed by my experiences with him and i know you will be as well i hear so many of our listeners have made the switch and are so happy that they did the number is 314-961-4800 or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net if your insurance costs a leg and an arm call james carlton state farm he is a really good guy and that is why people do business with him plus you can see the google reviews and the facebook reviews for james carlton People love him, and there is a reason. He has a great staff in Webster Groves. They will take great care of you. That is why I'm so happy that I switched my family's policy to James Carlton. You should do the same. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, 
Call James Carlton, State Farm. All right, send your questions in, your stories in, uh, whatever. I mean, we've talked about the match, who you would like to see play. Uh, talked about divorce. I would imagine that's going to spur some uh, reaction and emotion. Fire away. Uh, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Uh, talked about the politisa- po- politization, politization, politization. I'm not going to try now. Thank you. Uh, the, uh, of the Lake of the Ozarks slash Gulf Shores Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and the media coverage of those and the county executive and the mayor's statements on the Lake of the Ozarks. Um, and uh, Gangster Pete, anything else that we've talked about? I know I know this. We've talked about everything. That's what I would yeah. say. Well, I think we covered it all. <laughs> we really did. Uh, Tima Kernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you to TheHomeLoanExpert.com. Thank you to James Carlton. Thank you to Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at EvergreenSTL.com. And thank you to Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com. For Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of Questions from the Audience on the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you.